Hi, this is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer, and today's tip of the week is about mental health in the workplace. According to the World Health Organization, also known as WHO, there are 12 billion workdays lost annually due to depression and anxiety, costing global economy nearly $1 trillion. What can you as an employer do about this? Well, here's 10 tips that you can share with your employees to help them have a healthy mental state in the workplace and also at home. So the first one is begin your day with mindfulness. And that means you might be using some type of a, an app or just if you're a spiritual person, your Bible, whatever, but you have choices is the point. So mindfulness. Two, focus on your strengths. Three, stop comparing yourself to others. Four, start with a gratitude culture. This is something that as a company we can do. Um, five, accept rather than judge feelings. Six, get outdoors. Encourage people to go for walks. Seven, do things together inside of the company. Eight, find humor in things be able to open with a joke, you know, share something that's kind of funny. Nine, learn something new and it doesn't have to be work-related. And 10, slow down. So I want to welcome Johnny Crowder, founder and CEO of Cope Notes, a tech startup that provides daily support and healing for users in over a hundred countries globally. He's also a TEDx speaker and a keynote speaker. And I met him at something called an organization called Namigo, and that's National Association on Mental Illness in Greater Orlando. So welcome Johnny to the Intern Whisper Show. I am so pumped to reconnect with you. So I'm NAMI alum as well. And we mm -hmm. both got our, I got my start in advocacy at NAMIGO. So it's so cool to hear a little bit of the backstory about how we've like crossed paths over the years. Mm -hmm. Yep. It sure enough is. I usually ask my guests to start with five words that they say, describe them and why those five words. So I'll take notes pretty quickly. I would say the first word that comes to mind is curious. Mm -hmm. I want to be a student forever. I love learning things. So that's probably one of my most defining characteristics. Um, another one is probably determined or persistent. Like I, when I have my mind set on something, I almost um, maniacally pursue that thing. So that has definitely served me. I would say creative. I love making things that didn't exist before I made them. So a painting or a song or, or even a sentence when I write it into a word document that didn't exist before that, that creativity has been really paramount for me. Um, one thing that's extraordinarily important to me is being a good friend. So I would say maybe friendly. Um, I grew up with not a lot of friends when I was younger because I wasn't very social. So becoming a good friend and making good friends has become more important to me over the years. And then the last one, hmm, intentional. Hmm, I like I would, that a lot. I would use that. I, um, I was between vulnerable and intentional because I always want to be vulnerable and tell the truth, but it's not just for the sake of telling the truth. It's with the intention of making a positive impact and giving permission to others. Mm -hmm. I like all of those words. 
I'm going to adopt them into my own, my own thinking too. A lot of them I am, I am the curious and the creative and um, friendship is super important to me also, but your definitions as to the wise, super powerful. Thank you. That's an interesting question. Not a lot of people ask things like that. Made me think. Good, good. I'm glad. Well, we always go into how did you get to where you are now? What's that backstory? And a lot of it, I'm going to guess, goes back to NAMI. Yeah. So I'll start when I was a toddler. I was in an abusive environment and I learned all the wrong coping mechanisms And I was living with mental illness, but I didn't know it. And my parents didn't know it either. So everyone was kind of just looking the other way, hoping that it would go away on its own. Spoiler alert, it did not. And I started treatment in high school, not because I wanted to, but because I was voluntold. It was either that or um, being taken to the hospital by police officers. So I opted to go go check out, see what this treatment thing is all about. Mm. And... Then I started taking psychology courses in high school, which kind of sparked that curiosity in me, wanting to understand what was going on in my brain. And then I went to college. I went to UCF for psychology. And that's where I met. Actually, interesting little backstory, how I met Nami. Mm -hmm. I performed and taught improv comedy when I was in college. So I I performed... um, comedy in high school, then in college. And then for many years after college, in fact, I continued teaching after UCF. But when I was at UCF, there was a comedy community in Orlando, like an indie comedy community. And all of these different comedians we had formed relationships with in a local comic actually died by suicide. So we all threw a fundraiser called the Orlando Indie Comedy Festival um, to raise money for suicide prevention and awareness. But, but I didn't choose the organization that the money went to. I was, I was not really super involved because there were like 50 people with their hands on everything. So it took maybe 50 people months to plan this giant festival that probably only raised like three or Mm. $4,000. But still it was such an accomplishment for us. And so on the last night of the comedy festival, we hand, this uh, or they handed this like giant paper check you know those like giant cardboard yeah the checks? cardboard ones yeah yes so they handed this big check to um the at the time the president of nami greater orlando on stage and it's in downtown orlando and she's like thank you so much here's a few sentences about what we do and then she gets off stage to walk back to her car and go home because it was super late it was like midnight and so she's walking down the street with a giant cardboard novelty check. And I am wearing a cutoff black heavy metal band t-shirt and I have tattoos all down my arms and I was bodybuilding at the time. So I was big and I'm chasing this woman down and down to Orlando. Is it going, Rosemary? Wait, wait. Yes. Yeah. Rosemary. Yeah. She's yes. Awesome. So um, I, she must've been totally freaked out like downtown Orlando midnight, this yeah. giant guy chasing me. And I was like, listen, I live with a bunch of different mental illnesses and I want to do something about, I want to do something to help, but mm-hmm. I'm not like perfect. I, I'm not like magically cured of everything. Like I'm still very much in the middle of this. And she goes, that's fine. Here's my card. Send me an email and we'll find a way to get you plugged in. She's and the that, one that introduced me to you. There's no way. So now with all the Ted talks and touring and, and speaking and running cope notes and everything, none of that would have existed if Rosemary 
wouldn't have been there that night and shared her card with me. Cause I reached out and said, put me to work. And she did. Yeah. And she's so awesome. I just, I really like that one. She thinks out of the box and she was always looking for ways that are innovative to, to change and make things better. Yeah. So we gave her a little shout out there. I know we didn't say her last name, but that's okay. She's awesome. She is awesome. So tell us what Cope Notes is. So that, um, I have to give credit for everything in my advocacy career to Rosemary because yeah. I wouldn't have been doing this without her. But uh, what Cope Notes does is we send daily text messages that train the brain to think in healthier patterns. So think peer support, because all the messages are written by peers with lived experience, but then like brain training, health education, neuroscience stuff, because the messages are delivered at random time to surprise the brain to change its own patterns. Ooh, you're in my space. That's what I absolutely love. I love anything that's in that cognitive behavior and neuroscience. Yeah. So you are like talking absolutely with, you know, it's about changing behavior and you can't go to the, you can go to the gym every day, but you don't do the same type of exercise every day because it's not using different muscles. Right. And you have to totally just same, mix it up. Yeah. So our messages will like some contain psychology facts, some are journaling prompts, some are exercises, they're, they're all varied. And no two people ever get the same text at the same time. Nice. So you, you never know when we'll text you or what the text will say. And that's actually part of what makes it so effective because the brain doesn't have time to prime itself and think, okay, I'm going to open this stupid book and it's going to tell me how to think better. You don't have time to be skeptical or critical because it just pops up in your phone while you're in traffic or, or you spill coffee on your shirt. And those moments, those interruptions actually help rearrange the synapses in your brain, which is so cool to learn about. Oh my gosh, it so is. And I really like the fact that again, it's changing a behavior. So how does somebody find Cope Notes? Where is it? Are you on the app store? Or no. So this is one of my favorite parts of Cope Notes. Um, it's not an app. So you don't download anything. There are no software updates or passwords or nothing. You just type in your phone number at copenotes.com and you press enter and we send you a text message. That's how you sign up. It is incredibly easy. And part of the reason why we did it like that is because number one, you are 50 times more likely to read a text message than an app notification. So it is a far more effective way to communicate in the modern era. But the other thing that was really crucial is right now we serve a lot of foster youth programs and um, we serve the unhoused community and the homeless population. We serve um, seniors who might not have a shiny new iPhone 14 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So all of these digital health resources that rely on smartphones that are app-based, they're leaving out tens of millions of Americans who, who use non-smart cell phones. Mm. You really have a lot of research to be able to reach tons of people. I like that. That's super good. So having to put just my cell phone number in makes that whole process of signing up uh, very anonymous. Does it stay anonymous? Do you create a profile? 
No. So this is one of the other cool things is we, we don't have names on file. We don't have addresses or demographic information, which not only is important on the health equity side, because we can't treat two people differently based on pieces of information that we've collected from them, but also it keeps you completely anonymous, which means like when people journal and text back in their journal, they can say whatever they want, whenever they want, without being worried like, oh, this is probably tied to some account that says Isabella, Isabella Johnston, and I'm sure somebody can look that up. We literally don't have any names or PHI, like health information, anything on file. So it allows us to serve these underserved populations that are sometimes hesitant to share their personal information, like folks who are in the military or first responders or people in witness protection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but I'm going to go the other route. So if somebody is really using it as a cry for help, how could you help them? Because my phone number is usually tied to me. And if they said, I'm going to hurt myself, I, I don't know. Can you, can you help them? Or do you have like prompts in there? So it can say, Hey, let's get you to suicide awareness. Yeah. So first of all, anyone who's using Cope Notes as a cry for help is misusing it. So we are very clear that it is not designed to replace emergency services cool. or anything like that. It says it all over our website. Um, we're very clear about what we do and don't do. But if someone is journaling and in their journal entry, they mention that they are considering harming themselves or somebody else, we do have a partnership with 988, so the National Crisis Lifeline, and we outsource all crisis conversations to them so that they can handle those real-time conversations. Because we, we're serving thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world every day. So there's no way we could actually have individual conversations with each person when yeah. something arises. So instead we outsource to 988 whose whole job is having those conversations. Mm. I like that very, very much. So aside from that, I know that you've done a TED talk, a TED, I don't know, full TED, but definitely TED, TEDx. Yeah, I've done two TEDx talks and I'm hoping that a TED talk is next, but the bar is really high. Yeah. Like when my first TEDx talk hit a million views, I wanted to show TED and it's on the TED website and stuff. Right. But when I reached out to an organizer, they're like, yeah, I mean, you got to really get up there in views to, to be considered for TED. And I'm like, how is a million not up there? So their, their bar is just, if you're not already famous or you don't have like 10 million views, then you got to get in line. So right now I'm in line. So I can give you a little insider information because yeah. I'm a TEDx organizer and I've Whoa. been at, yeah, for several years, uh, a way that you can jump the line is if somebody nominates you. So Ooh. now that I know that as a TEDx organizer, I can nominate you for the TED experience. Please. Yeah. And so Please. we'll talk about love that, that more, <laughs> you know, later. Okay. Yeah, but um, I can help you with that. And that helps you to jump the line. So they will take those, those recommendations, those nominations very seriously. Mm -hmm. A million views is a lot. It really is a lot. Um, it depends on always what the topic is. So if you've done that topic once, you also need to go, well, what is it I would talk about at the big TED talk that's not mm -hmm. the same talk? So it can't be the same one. It's going to have to be something different. Have you, do you have a different idea? 
Oh, I have a I have a note in my phone of all okay. of these different TED Talk ideas that I add to all the time. Literally this week, I added another idea. So I'm always because I a big part of my job is doing keynotes. So whether it's for TED or another organization, I I always catalog my ideas. Mm, you're super high in that creative space for sure. I can tell because you're you're using the things, the tools, the technology that we have to really maximize the fact that it's spontaneous and it needs to be something that's highly accessible. But then you're also, you know, very thoughtful. Your your word of intentional is definitely there because you're like embracing it. Um, so good. Okay, we're gonna table that TED one for <laughs> another one. I'll I'll. If you tell me, uh, well, I'll pull the application up and I'll let you know what I need from you to be awesome. able to make that nomination. So, so for our video viewers, because our show is on video as well as on uh, audio, but our audio audience, we're going to have to use some very descriptive words. And just so our audio listeners know, you got to go and watch this on our YouTube channel because his home office is quite the spectacle. He's got guitars there. He's got a wall of shoes, different types of shoes that he uses um, and wears. And there's all of this color and then a lot of books right behind him when I'm just looking at it. So our viewers might want to wonder why the shoes on the shelf? Yes. Yeah, so this is actually... Almost everything in my life you can trace back to recovery or wellness in some way. So yes, a, a sneaker collection can be about recovery. So here's the backstory. I grew up sharing shoes and backpacks and clothes and everything with my brothers. And it, now, like as I grew up, I would always think like, oh, I'd, you know, I'd love to have this pair of shoes or that pair of shoes. And I always found uh, fashion very interesting, but to be quite frank, um, expensive. Yes, I wasn't capable. And um, over time, I just kind of let that interest slide away. I was just like, well, oh, well, I guess because I don't have the money for it, I probably shouldn't really focus on it anyway. Then I'm in treatment for, um, eating disorders. So I struggled with bulimia. And when I was in treatment, I was talking to my, I guess, therapist or clinician. I can't remember exactly who she was um, or what her title was, but she said something about how it's important to shift your focus from an aspect of your appearance that you cannot control in the immediate sense, like the shape of your body, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't really do anything right now to change the shape of your body. But yeah, um, if you shift your focus towards something that you can control in a more immediate sense, like color coordinating an outfit or cleaning your shoes just a little bit so they're not all scuffed up, then that might make you feel like you look better by redirecting that focus. And so I tried it. I actually got a pair of shoes for as a gift um, from a family member and it was my first like real nice pair of shoes. And I was like, whoa, I've never really had this feeling. Um, and then I was like, ooh, I want it. So they were like these olive camo kind of shoes. And I was like, oh yeah, I want to wear like, I have this olive shirt that I want to wear with it. And maybe I have some black jeans. And then I put together an outfit and I was like, all of my attention was focused on the creative aspect of putting together an outfit and not at all on my physical body. And it was so liberating to me that now sneakers have become a huge hobby for me. And every time I color coordinate an outfit, 
it allows me to, rather than being critical of my body, I am creative about my appearance in a way that's healthy and fun and kind of lets me, um, it feels like an activity, you know? That's really good use of reframing how somebody sees themselves and they can see it in a positive way. I, I'm going to tell you that one piece of advice will help women around the world, honestly, mm. you know, because women are even, I think, more hyper aware of, at least in the United States, of appearance. And the fact that there are other ways of showing their uh, personality and their, yeah. you know, something that's creative about them is through how you dress. We always see tons of makeup tutorials, but we don't always see, oh, you can change how you feel just by doing this one thing. They do it with lipstick and nail polish though, too. Yeah. Yeah. But that to me is so, you mentioned something about um, just now you said something like making it representative of your personality and expressing that creativity for me it's so funny. Cause if I say like, Oh, you know, I want, I want to have a six pack or something like that. That's not really indicative of your personality or who you are, like your flavor, your unique style, yeah. um, your creativity. But then if you put together an outfit, that's way more representative of your unique abilities and personality and style. So I, that's such an interesting point to say, like, even if you did change your body the way you wanted to, it wouldn't, be effective in expressing who you really are and what you care about and how creative and unique your mind is as if you put together a unique outfit. Like that's such a cool way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Things that are within your power or mm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I know that you um, shared a little bit about some of your, your mental health um, journey. Do you mind sharing that with our listeners? Just because this is also mental health month is coming up here. And it's really good to break stigmas and to be able, we've had some other people come on the show and share whether they were bipolar or if they were contemplating suicide at one point in time. And these are things that are real, especially since we have had COVID and people are, I saw a report that came out that said that people are feeling even more isolated. I think that technology does that to us. Okay. Mental health journey. I, I will be straight up with my diagnoses. I never hide from them uh, mm -hmm. because when I was younger, I definitely did. I would, I would pay you in order to not tell you mm -hmm. what I was diagnosed with, but now I try to be as free as possible with all of it. So um, some of my more pronounced diagnoses and symptoms were related to, I definitely live with schizophrenia. So really severe hallucinations, both auditory and visual for all throughout middle school, high school, really severe in college and post-college and definite depression, multiple attempts on my own life. I will not make any more. Um, I've learned a lot since then. Um, but definitely I was in a, I was in a cycle of self-harm Mm -hmm. I lived with really pronounced OCD symptoms. So that was probably the most outwardly noticeable was either my bipolar one, because you could tell I had very, very serious anger issues and very, very noticeable peaks and valleys. So uh, this kind of erratic 
creative energy that would last for days. And it was really difficult for me to sleep, um, which would be that mania. And then these really pronounced depressive cycles where I couldn't get out of bed and um, I couldn't focus and I wasn't motivated. And so that plus the OCD, like not touching people, not touching food, not touching doorknobs. um, There were so many things that I could not do. And so all of these things made it extraordinarily difficult to make friends in school because I was so obviously different from all of the people around me. And it, it made me want to kind of downplay what I was going through so I could fit in. But over time, I actually realized that that, like you kind of just alluded to, made me feel more isolated because I was not only was I not feeling close to people, but I was pretending to be somebody else in order to get close to them, which felt even worse than not being connected to them in the first place. Mm. I so feel that same thing. And I want to thank you for sharing that. And just so being very transparent and vulnerable with that, our listeners really embrace these things, uh, take it very seriously. And so do I, I've, I've gone through my own bouts of depression at one point in time, mm. I'm feeling also suicidal. Um, things that happen in a person's life, um, uh, you had shared earlier, it was part of it is environmental, I would say, obviously, it's something we can be born with. Um, and I'd seen that in my own parents, where there was um, depression, really deep bouts of depression. And times I'd sit here and go, are we, I think my youngest brother was uh, bipolar also. Mm. So I I've been around it a lot going, like I was telling you before we got on the air, um, going through the courses at NAMI national association on mental illness, giving them another shout out was really helpful because it helped me to understand what was going on as well as how to be a better friend, how to be a better advocate and how to be supportive. So thank you for just being open again and sharing that. The more we do it, though, it's a lot easier to say these things, right? Oh, yeah. I always tell people like, so I do trainings for workplace wellness and mental health and workplace and stuff. So I'll go uh, and do, I actually did one yesterday for government employees. And uh, I went in and said something like, you know how hard it is to be the first person to say the word depression in a workplace? So I'll be the first and the second and the third and the fourth. I'm going to say it 40 times today so that by the time you bring it up, you'll already be 50th and it will feel that much more normal. I think it's, um, this is going to sound unrelated, but I promise it is related one time. So when I I'm in a band called prison and we, we still tour, actually we're playing Orlando on Saturday, this Saturday, October 22nd, if you want to go uh, at the Haven. I don't in, know what that is. I think it's in Winter Park. Um, okay. And okay. so I'll I'll share more information about that once we stop recording because that mm-hmm. show will already have passed by the time people hear this probably. But um, I play. I still play music to this day. It's been a huge coping mechanism and an outlet for me. And I remember when I first, I one time I played this uh, concert with these bright, sparkly silver leggings. They were obviously a women's pair of pants and they were like skin tight, super sparkly. When the lights on the stage hit them, they like blinded people Mm -hmm. and someone gave them to me as a gift. Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, you know what? I'm going to wear these on stage. Like, I'm just going to go for it. And the first night I did it, my drummer looked at me and he goes, you are crazy. (laughs) Those look ridiculous. I can't believe you're wearing those. The second night I was like, I'm going to wear it. So we were on tour. We're in California. And I was like, I'm going to wear them again. So I put them on and wear them again. And truck, my drummer goes, are you serious? You're going to wear those again? Um, And I was like, yeah, dude, I got to own it. And then the third night, he was like, are you going to wear the pants again? And I was like, yeah. And then by the fourth night, it was normal. Okay. It was like, if you own it for, for three or four times in a row. Yes. Yeah. The station manager is talking to me and I'm going, I don't know what he's saying. So <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry for the disruption, but no, I'm loving this story. And I love the fact that you're making sure that people hear that word depression, going back to your other story, Yeah, how you can desensitize people very quickly by just being, uh, just being everyday matter of fact, it's just a word. It doesn't have, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's the same as you know, if you've ever seen like my nephew will fall down Mm -hmm. and I'll go, is that a big deal? And you know, her parent or his parents, my brothers will look at me and go, nah, don't worry about it. Mm. Don't make it a big deal. Cause if you make it a big deal, then it's going to be a big deal. So just let them get up. And I think we do that with depression where, you know, if I were to tell you, you know, Isabella, I grew up um, with pretty severe bipolar disorder. And if you went, Oh, you poor baby. The whole mood would change. The energy would shift. I would feel really strange. Or if you were like, oh, that's weird. I don't know how to respond to that. So it's everyone's job to treat this like me saying, oh, I broke my ankle when I was six. And you're like, oh, that sounds tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Love it. Love it. And while you were talking about the Haven, I looked it up. I know where it is so I can find it. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'll see you there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you just have to tell me the time I'll be there. Yep. So what is something that you're most grateful for? This is going to sound so cheesy, but honestly, my recovery Mm-hmm. Like I know that so many people are no. listening to this and roll their eyes and go, of course yep. the guy says is recovery, it has but to. I'm, I'm telling you, I couldn't, I couldn't play music. I couldn't start a company. I couldn't exercise and ride my bike. I couldn't go outside. I couldn't make friends. None of the things in my life now would be possible without dedicating my time and energy and focus to getting healthier. Mm-hmm. So I view my recovery as the single thing that allows every other thing in my life. It's, have you ever heard the phrase skeleton key? Yeah. I think that means like one key that opens all the locks. Yes. And that is what my recovery is. It, all the things that I wanted, like uh, deeper relationships and a better ability to communicate and a healthier body and um, passion for things like do wanting to wake up and live the next day. All of those things are unlocked by a dedication to learning a little bit every day and getting a little bit healthier every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My tip of the week is all about um, ways that people can be healthy. And I think you'll like this uh, because there's 10 tips 
And you'll hear it in when you listen to the show, it'll be at the beginning, but it talks about beginning your day with mindfulness, focusing on your strengths. This is everything you've been saying here. Um, stop comparing yourselves to others. Oh, that's hard. It is so hard, right? <laughs> so hard. Um, develop a gratitude culture, uh, accept rather than judge feelings. Mm. Um, get outdoors, do things for other people, find humor, learn something new and slow down. So those are like 10 tips. And you have covered Gold. all of those 10 tips, honestly. Gold. Yeah. Actually not comparing yourself and slowing down are the two hardest parts of entrepreneurship to me out of that list. Because everything is fast in entrepreneurship. Oh yeah. They, these, these folks are like, oh yeah, if your startup doesn't do 10 times last year's revenue this year, then you're a failure. And it's like, what? You want me to do a thousand percent of last year's revenue? Yeah. Like it, there's almost this culture that you can't slow down as if slowing down is bad, but actually yeah. that's what makes building something sustainable is if you slow down and go like, wow, you know what? I had a victory earlier today, a very small one. Actually in Slack, um, my, my team has a Slack channel that is just called wins. And mm. every day we put one, two, three, we write the word wins exclamation mark. And then we put one, two, three. So three positive things that happened that day at work so that every day when we leave work, we close our computers, we can leave on this note of recognizing what we've accomplished. I love and that. I think if you, if you don't do that, we've had employees quit and this was years ago. And I asked them why. And they said, because I felt like all day people were just telling me no. And I was like, well, yeah, that's part of being at a startup is, is, you know, a thousand people tell, you no. Yeah. one person tells you yes. And you double down on that. But that actually inspired us to change that element of our culture to say, you know what, before you close your computer at the end of the day, we're leaving off on a good foot. So every day when you close your computer, you think I at least accomplished these three things. And sometimes it's just clearing your inbox. And that's I'm huge. Tell you, that I'm taking with me to my own uh, company culture. We don't do three. I believe in the rule of three. And so, yes, I'm taking that as wisdom that is being passed on. Uh, definitely in here. And I want this to be just so everybody knows on the uh, content team. This is one of the best tips that uh, he shared. It's all been great, but this one is for us as a company. So thanks for sharing that. Yes, it is. Honestly, it's one of the only mandatory rules that we enforce is it's not, it's not optional. You don't get to do two. You don't get to do one. You don't get to not participate every day that you work, you have to do it. And sometimes people will groan and say, well, I only came up with two things. And it's like, you did not work for eight hours and only accomplish no. two things. No, no, no. You, there's something in your brain that you need to put on paper. Yeah. Write it down. And now it, for the first few months, people are like, oh, it's hard to think of stuff. But now I think people are starting to see the fruit of it and go like, when they experience something during the day, they'll think, Ooh, that's something I can put on my wins list. And now they're looking for those things. Mm -hmm. One of the things I do is I go for a gratitude walk. And sometimes that might be two hours. And I go through every single thing that I can be grateful for. That wow. Can be a long walk. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, you can come up with three things. I'm going to throw that back to your people. So yes, they can. Yeah. So we're going to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor and we'll be right back. 
The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back into the second half of the show. My guest is Johnny Crowder, and he is also a expert. I am going to call him that. He's not saying he's that, but he is an expert in mental health and positivity. And these are all of the things and even more. So stay tuned. What do you think 2030 is going to look like? Because I was reading this report. I mentioned it a little bit earlier that people are feeling more isolated. I think it's because we're uh, relying on technology and also to a large extent, um, we seem to isolate. So I'm not an acclaimed futurist, so I don't know how accurate this is going to be, but I'll tell you what I could see happening is this return to in-person connection. So I do think that transitioning to primarily virtual communication has brought a lot of good in a period where not a lot of people could see each other. Like without being able to FaceTime our loved ones during isolation and COVID, who knows what the world would have turned into if we literally couldn't speak to our friends and family members. I don't, I don't even want to imagine that. So I know that there's positive things that have come from that. However, I can see that over a few more years of, of primarily using digital means of communication, I could definitely see people wanting to return to in-person connection the same way that vinyl was really cool. And then it was out of here and then it's CDs and then it's iPods and then it's Spotify and Apple music and YouTube. But now if you notice now vinyl sales are going up and people want to buy these records and build record collections. Exactly. So a turntable here. So if I look at the human nature that is exhibited in um, seeking novelty, for example, there are current music listeners now who enjoy the novelty and the nostalgia of holding a record in their hands, that tangible mm-hmm. feel, looking through the booklet, like that feeling. I don't think people lose that altogether. I think it goes dormant for maybe a decade or two or three at a time. And I would like to see at 2030, a return to like really, really intentional in-person connection, like live concerts rather than live streaming them. Um, Mm -hmm. This is maybe, uh, listen, I'm open to being wrong. I'm wrong every day, but I'll tell you what I'd like to see is even if digital communication still exists, which I certainly believe it will, I think our adherence to it will be lower and our desire for real in-person connection will increase. I totally agree with you. These are things that I've been saying too, because people are made for relationship. They hunger for it. We have five senses and we could even say six if we wanted to, but those five senses, we're looking at each other and we can hear each other, but the ability to touch another person, to hug them, to to smell whatever is going on in the <laughs> environment, right? And, you know, we're talking, we're listening, we're seeing, but there's these other two senses that are just powerful and they yeah. to be fed also. Oh, so cool. So that's the future I'm looking forward to. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. I 
I totally agree with you. I feel like there's going to be a shift where people will be back in the office. It might be more of a flexible schedule, but they they will be back into the office. So that real quick, that's the dream for me is that hybrid focus. I'm not saying no one's going to text each other anymore. No one's going to call each other anymore. I'm saying that peaceful cohabitation of sometimes you're in office around your employees or around your coworkers and you get to connect in person. And then sometimes you are at home with your dog and your four-year-old and you can make your four-year-old lunch and you can take your dog on a walk and still have a productive workday. Mm-hmm. That balance is my utopia for 2030 is actually integrating technology in a way that does not detract from the human experience, but actually enables it. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I share that same same vision for sure. So robots, have you ever seen an all robot band? I, what is it? The, the Boston group robots, you know, how they dance. Oh, Boston dynamics. The only, the only all robot band I've ever seen was at a little small town place called Chuck E. Cheese. That is the the one place that I've seen an all robot band and it was kind of horrifying. So I hope they have improved the technology since then. Yeah. The animatronics there. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of, kind of weird, but I feel like there's this place where um, I was also watching something last week where the robot uh, woke up. It looked like a person that was sleeping, took a breath and then started like stretching and you would have sworn it was a real person. Whoa. Whoa. This is crossing the line of what sometimes ethics, you know, like, where is it? Where is it? And I was watching even a version of um, Sheldon, you know, young Sheldon, Mm -hmm. and they're questioning ethics. What does that look like? Should we do this? Should we not do this? Anything we do, there's always a a pro and a con, right? Yeah, I listen to a lot of um, apologetics, which is like a, a Christian style of teaching where they will identify specific objections to the gospel and then address them head on instead of saying like, oh, we don't like talking about that, saying like, okay, a common uh, objection that people have to the Jesus story is blank, and then they'll do a whole sermon on it. And what I love about some of that teaching styles, they really incorporate ethics and like critical thinking about philosophy. Like, what does this mean? What should we be doing? How can we better protect other people? And that integration of ethics and philosophy into faith conversations, I hope continues into like, for example, Seth Godin talks a lot about business ethics. Mm -hmm. I love listening to Seth Godin talk about building an ethical business, because I want Cope Notes to be massively successful, but I also want to do it in a way to where everyone we serve is benefiting tremendously and that we don't take advantage of our position of growth and start becoming unethical and turning this into like a cash grabbing machine because there is a line. So that the incorporation of ethics and philosophy into faith, into business, into interpersonal relationships. Um, that's the stuff that really like, I would listen to a podcast for an hour and a half about it. Mm-hmm. And when it's over, I'd go, is there not a part two? I yeah. want to hear more. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying. Oh my goodness. Well, I know we're going to be coming up here kind of close. We have just a couple of other questions. Um, Black Mirror. Have you ever seen that series? I've seen 
two or three episodes and I don't watch scary stuff. And sometimes some of them are scary. So I'm, I actually ask my drummer to make sure that he, he suggests episodes to me that are not scary, Mm -hmm. but I've seen, like, I saw the dating one, which was really interesting. Oh yeah. I saw that. Where they like get matched. Yeah. I watched it and then I went, I can't watch it anymore because it's just really, uh, it's, it's pretty unsettling for sure. It is unsettling. Disturbing is the word that I came, came up with. Well, what is the best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? Who the best mentoring advice? Yeah, it can be advice that you've received or advice that you want to pass on to others. Yeah, what I would what I would want to bring up first before anything else is focus on the ability to cultivate the belief that tomorrow can be better than today. Because if you don't actually believe that things can get better, then your actions won't actually drive you towards. I mean, think about it. If you told me, if you work really hard today, Mm -hmm. then you'll be rewarded tomorrow. And I thought there's no way I'm going to be rewarded tomorrow. Then I wouldn't work really hard today. Mm -hmm. It would affect my actual behaviors because my belief didn't line up with yours. So my encouragement to everybody is rather than focusing specifically only on the actions, if you can focus on the belief that your actions will lead to positive outcomes, if you can focus on, listen, maybe tomorrow will be better. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll be healthier next year. If I do these things, if you can just work on that belief to get to the point where you said, you know, before I used to think that I would never get better. And now I'm like 30% convinced that I might get better. That's huge. That is progress that is worth celebrating. So focus on the belief and the actions will follow. Oh, that's powerful there. How can people reach you? How would you like us? We supply them with your website, but also um, I used your Johnny Crowder website, but I don't know if you want me to also add the Cope notes. I would think so. Yes. Yes, definitely. And then also your LinkedIn profile. Anything else? Yeah, I would say, so I'm not the most reachable person sometimes. So I keep my phone on do not disturb 24 seven. So I miss all sorts of notifications. Um, I would actually encourage you if you really want to get in touch with me about um, cope notes or training or a keynote or something like that, you can use the contact form on either of those websites. And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't go to me, it will go to someone on my team and they can kind of route it to me. Um, But if you are a LinkedIn person, I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook as well. And then I'm on Instagram at Johnny Crowder loves you because I do. Got you. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. I know that you're always in demand. You've got somebody waiting in the wings that you have to go meet with next. So thank you so much. Um, You're going to be kicking off our 2023 year. Wow. So yeah, you're, you're up there in the first month that we're going to be having your episode go out there. So thank you so much. Very cool. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you, Isabella. Oh, my pleasure. So we want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our production team, Josue Gonzalez, Gio Vargas, Dina Burks, and Lester Eccles. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd, and we would like to have your inclusion tip of the week shared on our show. So be sure to record it, send it, 
send your audio file to info at e4c.tech and include your name, job role, and where you work. We will email our Intern Pursuit game green screens for your next video conference call. Be sure to visit Employers for Change at www.e4c to learn how you can create real diversity and an inclusive culture while scaling your people for work. And thank you for supporting the Intern Whisperer podcast by subscribing to our show on Podbean or your favorite podcast channel.